Wonderful things happening. Well, I hope you all had a wonderful Christmas. And it's a wonderful time to think of the Lord and family and friends. And it's amazing, isn't it? Uh, Oh, we need to dismiss our children right now. Thank you, Alicia, Rachel. Bless those little ones. They're part of the church, the body of Christ, aren't they? Yes, future leaders. So we had a wonderful time. I hope you did. I had family up and all my family together. We actually, last Monday was when we all got together. It was great. So it's good to see some of you have been traveling in your home and some of our people are off traveling and visiting someplace. So nonetheless, here we are and we can praise and worship the Lord. Did you appreciate the Christmas carols we've been singing over the last three, four weeks? Yeah. You know what's really nice about Christmas carols, I think, is that one is that there's good theology in, in many of those. Now, I know we don't do jingle bro rock, things like that. There's not much theology in those. But there's good theology, and it's you know that's uplifting to Christ. And as we've come into the season, we've come into the season of Christmas season, you know, one of the things that we focus on, of course, is the birth of Christ and the coming of our Savior. But what we can't ever forget, and that's what the Advent candle reminds us of in the middle, is that we're really expecting the second coming of Jesus. The second coming. He came the first time. He came as a little baby. He came and he was born in, the, in Bethlehem, according to the prophets. And he came and he was born and they laid him in a manger. They, they had to sleep in the, in the stable because there wasn't any room for them in the uh, parents in the inn. And it's an incredible time. It's this little helpless little child was born and destined to live and to die, but to live again. Isn't that incredible? We had, it's hard for us to think in our day and age because we think of death as being so horrible and terrible. And really, death is something that we're, it's not natural to us. God didn't create us to die. He created us. The original plan was to live forever. And it still can be, only just not in this body. And in a better place. Well, it's been good. So Merry Christmas, everyone. Well, let's begin our topic here. And as I was praying the last few days about what I would share this morning, I have kept praying. There are so many avenues that I could go in, so many directions. And so as I was praying about this, I, I felt the Lord said to lift up Jesus. Focus on Jesus. Now, you may think that's kind, of, uh, that's kind of bizarre that you would say that, but I realize that there's a lot of people and a lot of churches that aren't focusing on Jesus and what he's done for us on the cross. But we're focusing on a, more of a sentimental type of, of time of year. Well, let's go and let's see about this Jesus that came these 2,000 years ago. Colossians 3.13, we're going to start there. Colossians 3.13, it's in the New Testament, and it's just before, oh, I'm sorry, just after, just after Philippians, if you find Philippians, so Corinthians, uh, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Colossians. 
The writer Paul the Apostle writes, and he said in verse 13, he said, For he delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. And as Lori opened up this morning, she was talking about Jesus, how he came to deliver us from all the works of darkness. So Jesus, as a God through Christ, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And he is the image of the invisible God. Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, of the new creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created by him and for him. You and I have been created by God. We didn't evolve. We were created by God, by him and for him. Isn't that wonderful news? You have a purpose. Created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and he should be before all things in our lives, right? Love the Lord thy God with all our heart and with all our soul and all our our being, right? We have to love him. And that he is to be a priority in our life. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also head of the body, the church. And he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself might come to have first place in everything. You see, the Bible is Christocentric. The Bible centers around Christ. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him. All the fullness of God to dwell in him. And through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds... Yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. If indeed you continue in the faith, firmly established and steadfast and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, was made a minister. Wow, isn't that amazing? Isn't that incredible? Now, having read all that, how many of you feel and have felt alienated from God? You may feel like, okay, you can raise your hands, yeah. That's good, honest, I'm glad for the honesty and being candid. All of us have felt that, haven't we? We've all felt alienated from God. I have, and even as a believer I have. And sometimes as a believer... If we continue in sin, if we continue to go our own way, but yet saying that we call upon the name of the Lord, if we continue in that, then there's reason to feel an alienation from God because we then are going back into darkness rather than towards him. But as it says, this last portion I read here, it says that if indeed you continue in the faith firmly established and steadfast, and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which I was, Paul was made a minister. If we continue in this, 
God's blessings continue to flow. The veil has been torn asunder. Remember when Christ raised from the dead, was raised from the dead, the veil in the temple was torn apart. Man could see into the holy of holies. That curtain, I understand, was a good four inches thick. Can you imagine? I don't think you could pull that, tear that apart with the bulldozers on one on each end. That's how thick this, this veil was, this physical veil that veiled people from the holy of holies. But now God has made through his son Jesus. He has made a way, and that's what Christmas is really what we're celebrating, is the fact that Jesus, God, through his son Jesus, has made a way. That you and I don't have to feel alienated from God. Now listen, none of us lives a perfect, sinless life. Right? We all mess up from time to time, don't we? That's not to excuse it, but that's to say, but Christ came to bring us grace. If we will keep turning our heart back to him, keep turning our heart back to him constantly, always keeping our heart before him as the foremost, he will continue to extend his grace upon grace upon grace. Jesus came to give us grace, grace and truth. Remember, Moses came with the law, right? And many of us try to live by the law, but we can't live by the law. There's a grace there that comes from Christ. So I want to encourage every person, you know, in this Christmas season, if you're struggling with knowing him, you look around and you say, look at these people, they have such a heart for God, they, they worship him, and I just can't, I'm just not there. I, sometimes I just feel like I'm, I'm isolated from God. Well, that's not on God's side of things. If I continue in, if I go back to my old sin nature, my old life, then it's me turning from God. I'm turning away from him. But if I will turn around and come back to him and confess before him, what does he do? First John gives us the promise. First John says, he is, if I will confess my sins, he is faithful and just to forgive me all my sins. I was talking to somebody in the hospital a week or so ago, and they're getting up in years, and they're having a lot of regrets in their life. They had been lived a wild life and caused a lot of pain for people, and including themselves. And they're, even though the gospel's been shared with them, they're still struggling with this concept, you know. Of, and I was able to say to the person, as they were talking and saying they've been thinking about some things and, we start talking about forgiveness. And I said, you know, when Michelle and I minister to people, I said that's one of the key areas we look for in people's lives is to help them forgive people, right? Forgive us our trespasses or our sins as we forgive those who sin against us, right? That's what the Lord's Prayer says. And Jesus then said, if we don't forgive others, my Heavenly Father will not forgive you too. Well, that seems like it's kind of a, kind of out there kind of a thing, but it's, it's really a real key for all of our lives. So I said to this person, I said, he said, yeah, I've got too many people that I've really ticked off, is how he put it. 
And I said, well, you know, even if those people are deceased, you still can ask for forgiveness. Not from them, because they're deceased, but you can ask forgiveness from God. And I said, you can forgive them as well, even though they're deceased. I said, you're not talking to the dead, but you're releasing that person because they're still alive in you, you know, in your mind, in your thoughts, and in the pain of life. And he said, that's something to think about. And I said, the, second, the third thing I wanted to say to you is that forgiveness is real. When God says that he will forgive us, and he makes that promise that he'll forgive us, it's real. And if we meet the qualifications for that, it's a done deal, isn't it? Isn't it? And it's by faith, isn't it? The faith that we believe God's word enough to believe him that what he says is true. And so I know that people, every Sunday when we come together, there's people that are struggling or you've struggled, you've come out of all kinds of things, haven't we? Haven't we? You know, alcohol or drugs or or, or, or unclean things, or promiscuity, or whatever it might be. Uh, you know, all this kind of sinful stuff that we've come, gossip, or hateful, or haters, or thieves, or whatever, you name it, right? Can you name some things for yourself, probably? But when God comes into our life, and we connect with God because the veil has been torn, and because Jesus has become flesh, and Jesus has representing God to us, the Father, when Jesus came on earth, He came to bear our sins. And he came to bear our shame. How many have ever looked back at your life and think, something you've done or said? Haven't you? I have. There's still times I think, oh, gee. Oh, can't believe I said that or whatever it might be. We all say things we don't mean. You know, when you become a believer, your heart begins to change and you find that you begin to... Be filled with kindness. Kindness starts coming out of you instead of the harshness that used to come out of you. And when you say things to people now, and maybe you joke with them or something, and something comes out sideways, and you think, oh, I didn't mean it that way. That's evidence of Christ at work in our lives. So whoever you are, wherever you are, wherever you, whatever you've been struggling through, I want you to know that when Jesus came on the earth... To this earth, he came to set us free. He came to give us a new life. Isn't that wonderful? That we don't have to live back in the past. Now, there will be things that come up as a believer that the Holy Spirit will bring into your life to confront you with. It may be that you've confessed everything you know to confess. Actually, I should turn there so that you know the scripture. It's in First John, which is towards the back of the New Testament. First John. There we go. It's after James. First chapter. And I'll just start in, in verse 6. First John chapter 1, verse 6. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness... We lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. The church, don't we? We have fellowship. This is the wonderful thing about the church, is we come together and we encourage one another. 
And we have testimonies on Sunday. You know, you had an f- amazing testimony about a month or so ago. Incredible, Pauline did. Oh, God set her free from alcohol. It's incredible, isn't it? And any of you that are struggling with something else, if you heard that testimony from Pauline, you're going to say, wow, God's at work. God is still doing stuff. God can still set me free. God can still set my family free. True, isn't it? If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. I'm going to stop there for one more thing, one more comment. In our life, in our process of coming and being drawn to God, sometimes there are strongholds in our life that are so so tenacious, so tight in our life, that it's very difficult sometimes for us to get past those. Can you relate to that, anyone? It's like you just struggle and struggle and struggle. But I want you to know that there isn't anything that Jesus Christ, there's no bondage, there's no shackle, there's no chain that Jesus Christ hasn't and cannot break in your life. So if you're struggling with that, don't let it keep pulling you back. You keep going closer and drawing to God and praying. And you know what? There are people, ministry, come and see us. We do a lot of ministry to help people get freed up from those things from the past that hold on to them and don't want to let go. Anybody out there? Yeah. So this is the, this is the promise of Jesus coming. See, I don't want to just have a nice fluffy little service this morning and kind of sentimental about the baby Jesus and isn't he... What it? He was probably very cute, and did he did he laugh a lot when you tickled him and things like that? No, I mean I hope he did, but I I really want us to see the purpose and the fulfillment that's come through this wonderful gift. All right, moving ahead, verse seven. But if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all 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 sin. Not just some sin, not just a little bit of sin, not just that one sin when you were little when you stole cookies from your aunt or your grandma, but all sin. He cleanses us. Let that sink in for a moment. All sins. All sins. No, 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 no. That one too. That one too. Then let's go on. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth isn't in us. If we, and remember, Christianity is a relationship of truth capital T and small t, right? Christians are looking to walk in truth. I don't care if it's political truth. I don't care what it is. But Christians look for truth. Talked about that last week. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. To cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Not just a little bit of it. Not just a portion. Not just he's going to give you a little down payment. Okay, we're going to start with this and then we'll kind of work your way. And we'll see how you do. And if you do better, then I'll forgive more and I'll cleanse more. No. Oh, that's why Paul the Apostle 
writes to us and he said, In Christ I am a new creation. We are new creatures in Christ. So if you're striving and you're hoping that God will approve of you, that you wear yourself out sometimes. You can receive the grace of God by confession, keeping a clean heart, as clean as you can keep it. You have your good clothes on, you went to a wedding or someplace, you have your good clothes on, and it ends up it's raining, and you have to walk through the parking lot. What do you do? You try to keep your clothes clean, don't you? You try to keep your shoes from going through the mud puddles, don't you? But it doesn't always work, does it? You get some mud splashed on you. See, that's why I think when Peter, at the Last Supper, when Peter was before at the Last Supper and Jesus um, was going to wash their feet, remember that? And Peter said, oh, no, no, no. No, no. And the Lord said, no, lest I wash your feet, you have no part. But what Peter, the rest of you is clean, Peter. And that's what us, that's what we are like oftentimes. Our feet get dirty because we're walking through this world. You go to work and you overhear the dirty jokes. You go someplace and there's something on the screen or whatever it might be. There's dirt in this world. And so we need to continually come back to Jesus to have him wash our feet. To wash us, to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Is that good news? Is there any other religious leader that proclaims to be a prophet or claims to be God or whatever, that washes his people's feet. Charlie, you've been all over the Orient, all over Asia and in Africa and even Canada. So <laughs> You're shaking your head no. I know of none that come as a humbling servant. So that's an amazing promise, isn't it? I know you're struggling. Look at, look, at, look, at, look at this in Luke chapter 4. Let's slip over to Luke chapter 4. Verse 18. And Jesus quotes this almost out of Isaiah, 700 years prior, almost. He changed a few things because Jesus is the word, is he not? He is the word of God. And he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. Poor. Poor in spirit. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are downtrodden, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. When's the favorable year of the Lord? We're living in the favorable years of the Lord, aren't we? When Jesus came and rose from the dead, Jesus changed the world. Jesus changed my world. I'd have never, ever, ever dreamt I could ever, would ever be called into the ministry. Last thing I would have ever thought in my life called into the ministry as a pastor. But God, as Paul writes, God takes the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. So I fit into the foolish aspect of that. I know that for sure. He takes the foolish things of this world. You know, Paul says, are there many, many high and mighty among you? And, you know, no. Was, when he writes to the Corinthian church, no. 
They're just regular folks, like Phil, like uh, Cliff said. We're just regular folks, aren't we? We're like the shepherds that Jesus comes to. See, Jesus is just looking for somebody to believe in him. doesn't matter if you're an up-and-outer or down-and-outer or in-between-outer. Jesus is just looking for people that will come to him, call upon his name, and be faithful to continue to follow him. Be faithful to continue to follow him. Because, as Jesus said, he who overcomes will inherit everlasting life. He who overcomes. So be encouraged, folks. Because in your life, you're going to have overcoming to do. What are you overcoming? You're overcoming the world. Jesus said, but be of good cheer. I've already overcome the world. So you can follow in my footsteps, and you'll have the victory in Christ. I think this is, I think this is the best thing that mankind, it is absolutely the best thing mankind has ever heard. It's the best news. There is hope. There is hope. In this world, as it gets darker and darker, and, and as the world turns more anti-Christ, the church is going to shine all the more gloriously. A few weeks ago, I was asking the question, what if Christ would have never came? You know, every, every Christmas season, I've, in the past, I've had a message about, what if Jesus would have never come? What would the world be like? Remember that some of you were here. And this week I was watching a movie. I was watching It's a Wonderful Life, Jimmy Stewart. How many have not seen that movie? Anybody not seen It's a Wonderful Life? You haven't? Oh, it's a fantastic movie. It was made in the 40s. You know, it's an old one. But it's about, it's about a guy named George Bailey who thinks he's a loser and he's about ready to jump off a bridge and commit suicide. But he's a banker and he helps so many people out. And just as he's going to jump off the bridge in the winter, it isn't a Christmas Eve, and it was in a you know, very cold weather, snowy. Just before he jumps off the bridge, someone next to him jumps off the bridge. He jumps in, rescues the guy, and the guy turns out he's, he's an angel, Clarence Snodgrass or something like that. <laughs> and, uh, and he ends up, you know, they ended up in the little guard shack warming up, and and Jimmy Stewart, who plays George Bailey, didn't think it was an angel, and he's given him a hard time. So finally, Jimmy Stewart, you know, George Bailey, he's complaining about his life and so forth, and said, well, what if he were never born? So the angel takes him out to show him, what if he'd never been born? And he goes to the tavern, and the people didn't know him, and they threw him out, and all this, this whole story goes on. And he realized... What if I'd never been born? And at the end of the movie, it says something to the fact that it's not how much money you have or prestige, it's how many friends you have that really show your, much of your value in life, you know, how rich you are is by the number of friends you have. So it's a great movie, and it's kind of a takeoff of, of a solitary life, what one life can do. And I'd like to close here in just a moment. Oh, I forgot to put a plug in. What would the world be like if Jesus wouldn't have come? Here's a great book that some of you might like to read. It's by, ah, put my glasses on. I know it's a Schmidt, his name, Elvin Schmidt. How Christianity Changed the World. I mean, we could go through this for a month or more, to how Christianity changed the world. Our world today has been so impacted by Christianity that most of us had never have a clue that it was 
the blessings we have in our world today, the blessings of marriage, the, the sanctity of marriage, and oh, of life, and all those things came out of Christianity, came out of the church from Christ. Anyway, let's back up here. Jesus came to set us free. And I'd like to read a poem. It's not a poem, but I'd like to read a writing here. If I can find it. Sorry. This is by a Dr. James Allen Francis, copyright 1926. But we're talking about Jesus in a solitary life like George Bailey was. And Jesus is no comparison to Jesus Christ, of course. But that solitary life that came to this planet... 100% God, 100% man. As theologians, they call it a theophastic mystery. This is called One Solitary Life. He was born in an obscure village, the child of a peasant woman. He grew up in another obscure village where he worked in a carpenter shop until he was 30 when public opinion turned against him. He never wrote a book. He never held an office. He never went to college. He never visited a big city. He never traveled more than 200 miles from the place where he was born. He did none of the things usually associated with greatness. He had no credentials but himself. He was only 33. His friends ran away. One of them denied him, betrayed him. He was turned over to his enemies. He went through the mockery of a trial. He was nailed to a cross between two thieves. While dying, dying, his executioners gambled for his clothing. That's another fulfillment of prophecy, the only property he had on earth. When he was dead, he was laid in a borrowed grave through the pity of a friend. Nineteen centuries have come and gone, more like 20 now, and today Jesus is the central figure of the human race and the leader of mankind's progress. All the armies that have ever marched, all the navies that have ever sailed, All the parliaments that have ever sat, all the kings that ever reigned put together have not affected the life of mankind on earth as powerfully as that one solitary life. Isn't that amazing? Now, what's even more amazing about that is that one solitary life, Jesus Christ came and he gave us the opportunity to be set free from our sins and from our past, from the shame, the guilt. He came to put in us his spirit, to cause us to be born again, as John says, that we must be born again. And when he did that, then he made you a life that would represent him in the world today. You and I, Brothers and sisters are what Jesus said, or who, and as well as the whole body of Christ, we are what he determined to be the light of the world now. Isn't that amazing? You and I, be like George Bailey, we're to be the light of the world. We are to represent him. Many of us have squandered our life. We've squandered the influence we've had. The day will come, and maybe not just here, but I mean in in, in general, 
Christianity and, and everywhere. The day will come when the Lord will judge us. And it says in 1 Corinthians 3 that we'll be judged. And many, everything they've built in life will burn away. It'll be like wood, hay, and stubble. It doesn't matter. But those in Christ, even though what you've built burns away, says you'll still be saved, those in Christ. But there won't be a reward for others. There will be a great reward because what they built for the Lord lasts. It's inflammable. Excuse me. Not inflammable. It won't burn. Unburnable. Can't be burnt. Gold, silver, precious gems. And so as we enter this season of Christmas, it's a great time, and New Year's coming, it's a great time to evaluate our life to say, what am I doing with my life? I've come to Christ. I've asked him to forgive me. Give me a new life. Set me free. Now we have the opportunity to let our light shine. There's a famous cricket player named C.T. Studd back in England in the early or late 1800s, early 19 or so. He wrote this poem. He became missionary to China and then India and Africa. I'd just like to read a little bit of it. I read it some years ago, but it goes like this. Two little lines I heard one day traveling along life's busy way, bringing conviction to my heart and from my mind would not depart. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one, soon will its fleeting hours be done. Then in that day my Lord to meet and stand before his judgment seat. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, the still small voice, gently pleads for a better choice, bidding my selfish aims to leave and to God's holy will to cleave. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, a few brief years, each with its burdens, hopes, and fears. Each with its days I must fulfill, living for self or in his will. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And there's more to the poem, but I'm going to stop there. You know, I want to encourage everyone here that what you do in life, that you keep Christ the focus. Keep him the first. Whether you're a businessman, whether you're in the medical field, those are all ministries and can be ministries. They can be just an occupation, just a profession, a paycheck to bring home, or they can be turned into a ministry. Whether you're a school teacher, whether you're a mechanic, whatever you might be in life, whatever you do, you can do it as unto Christ. And you know, I would say in the morning or wherever before you go to work, pray and say, Lord, give me the wisdom. Give me the skills I need to minister to people. And Lord, give me openings. Give me openings that I may share you with people, that I may be a light in a life. You see, if you turn your occupation, your, your job into a ministry, the blessings of God, the grace will be there to continually proclaim Christ, to find favor. See, George Bailey doesn't say it's a Christian show or anything of that sort. 
It just says, well, there's a lot of praying in it, actually. But George Bailey was a banker, and he changed the world around him. Bedford Falls remained Bedford Falls. It never became Potterville. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will laugh. That's all I have to say this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you for your grace and goodness. Lord, we thank you that you love us so much that you challenge us. You love us so much that you want to keep us on the right track or get us on the right track. That track is you. You're one way. You are the way, the one way. Lord, I pray for your grace upon every person here or those who are hearing this on a, on a, on a recording later. Father, we pray for the grace that all of us would grab a hold of the fact that you are the rewarder of those who diligently seek you. And as we seek you, as we make our life, lay our life down at your feet to serve you by serving people, you say that those who want to be great in the kingdom of God must be the servant of all. So, Lord, teach us how to be servants. Whether that's just praying for people or whether that's whatever it might be, whatever it looks like, we thank you, Lord, for the hope that comes through Jesus Christ, the hope that came that Christmas over 2,000 years ago that gives us a life of hope, a life of love, a life of truth that you have brought us out of darkness into your incredible light, that you have done such amazing and wonderful things, Lord. I know it's the heart and desire of all of us here to let our light shine before men, that they may see the good works and glorify you. I know, Lord, I pray that you will help tweak people to see how little things they can do, little things perhaps they can do to just to adjust that part of life that gives you even more glory. We ask this in your holy name, Lord Jesus. And would you say amen to that? Amen, amen. Well, God bless you. Uh, Happy New Year. And if you would like some prayer, as we've been talking about some things that maybe are a bit challenging to you, or you feel your life's not at a certain place or at the place you'd like it to be, then please come up and we'd be happy to pray with you and encourage you the best we can. God bless you and Merry Christmas and Happy New Year.